there's a whole load of techniques. We use is it 27 different types of technique. This is Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast. It's episode 67. You're listening to Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast, brought to you by the fine folks at Response Suite. You've got a funnel, you've got emails, you've got graphics. It's all fabulous, but it's just not converting. So you give up. You give up, you go home, you go live on the beach. You become a green grocer. You do what? Become a green is the first thing I thought of. <laughs> Hello, this is Rob and Kennedy. Hello. From Response Suites. Dead, dead pleased to be back here in your ear holes. Ear lugs. Ear lugs. Is that a thing? Uh, and yes. Lugs. Lugs. <laughs> you know when you know, a word just loses its meaning. I you say it over and over again, you're like, oh. Ear, ear lugs. Potato. That's that bit, isn't it? Yeah. I'm referencing my ear lug. Yes. Lobe. 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 Not a lug. What's a lug? Is that- the ear lug's a whole lug. Lugs is the name of your ear. It's been another good week. We continue to roll out integrations and more features in response week, which is lovely. Every day as well, we get the office and we've got new bloody parcels. I know we've you've got, got some books. books there you're picking up. Thank yeah. you for all the, the books you're sending us. We're, we're, I'm trying to read a book a, a week at the minute, you know. Have I told you about this? So I've set myself this goal on a few occasions and it's never worked. Right. You need to, the, the key to it is read really thin books. <laughs> <laughs> I was furious. You know, back when Aaron, uh, Aaron Ross sent us a copy of uh, From Impossible to Inevitable. Yes. Well, I was like, oh, I'll, I'll read that in a week. I'll be cracking. I mean, it turns up as like 7,000 pages long. I'm like, Aaron, <laughs> you're a nice lad on that. But uh, whew, calm down. It also depends what you're reading. So, for example, one of the sh- one of the books on our shelf is like the big, I don't know what it's called, but like an encyclopedia of Infusionsoft or something. Probably oh, not yeah, a cover to cookbook. Probably not. Infusionsoft cook. Yeah, excellent. It's probably not a cover to cover read. <laughs> it's not, no, it's a dive in and out. Kind of thing. We we are going to be speaking to Carl and Ben. Really looking. Who have a great book. They have a really good book, and that's how seamless little segue there. I love what you did there. I I find out about these guys because of this book. And there's not, you know, when you read a book and you think at the end of it, I find with a lot of books, and my my ability to retain information from books is not amazing. It's a skill I want to learn on. So if if anybody's got any tips on retaining more information from books, please tweet at us at Response Week because I'd love to learn that as a bit of a better skill, really. But often you get the end of a book. I don't know about you, but I find that I read it and go, I, I've got the end of it. I go, oh, that was nice. I enjoyed that. I was, was very good. I don't know what I learned. I don't know what I learned. Have a look at it. And it's not a reflection on the book necessarily. Sometimes it is, but most of the time it's not. But what I found with Colin Ben's book, which we'll get into in the interview, is I left with actual, actionable stuff. Actual, actionable. That's quite difficult it's to say. Good, it's it? Yeah. That I can actually go and implement and go and do, which was absolutely amazing. Yeah. So if you haven't got the book, please go. We've got all the links to it and all the show notes. And if, and if it couldn't be better, Carl, when he turns his head on one side, looks like Steve Jobs. Yeah. You won't get that from the book. It's just a fact. It's just a little fact for you about Carl and Steve Jobs. By the way, massive high five and hello. Big wave. Big wave, everybody. Big wave to all of our new listeners. Jeff have putting those big foam hands on. Big foam hands. Yeah, yeah. So massive, massive hello to you, all the new listeners. It's lovely to have you with us. Do us a favor. Join everybody else over on Apple, Apple Podcasts, is it called now? I think it is. Apple Podcasts or wherever the heck it is you listen to this podcast. Go and leave us a review. Let us know where you're tuning in from, your big takeaways, and what it is you want to hear us talk about on Free Marketers Walk Into a Podcast. And we'll give you a name check and a shout out. We're going to start doing those again very, very soon. Before we go any further and we get into this episode with the lovely interview with Mr. Carl and Mr. Ben, we are going after Mr. Ben's actual person. <laughs> <laughs> is he the guy who holds the right? 
Mr. Ben, no, Mr. Ben, yes, he is the guy on the rice. Yes. Right. Yes. Packets of rice. Or is Mr. Ben the guy who goes into the suit shop and travels through time? I'm getting a nod from Grace. Mr. Ben is also the guy who travels through time and goes to the suit shop. But is it Mr. Ben that's But we're not interviewing well? him. So no, neither of those people went to view We Carl tried, ben. but he was too expensive. He <laughs> was really expensive. Talking of expensive, an actual, no, let's talk of cheap. Rob's quote of the week. <clears throat> so yes, as they say, stand in the darkness and melt a peach. There you go. Well, a, bit, a, little, a little bit of thinking space for you there, folks. Stand in the darkness and Wait, I've got a doozy. Melt, melt a peach. I've got a doozy for you next week. Have you? Mm. <laughs> Looking forward to that. If that's if that's not a doozy, I don't know what a doozy. So what a doozy, what a doozy is. If you are currently doing your email marketing and you would like to get some better results from it, one of the things a lot of people struggle with is relevancy of the emails that you send. Are you fig- seeing not so many people opening your emails or clicking on your links to your emails? You feel like actually they've just sort of disengaged with me a little bit. Robert, I've been studying email marketing recently, very, very particularly to do with how's, how are things changed over the last few years. And we're teaching all of our findings, or certainly a, a significant number of our findings, on an upcoming web class. Yeah, it's totally free to register for it. You can come and join us for the training and we'll share this sort of three-step Three steps to this one campaign that we've been running that's just getting amazing results. Uh, so you can register for it for free. Just head over to responsesuite.com forward slash webinar, and we'll see you there. So like we were saying at the top of the episode, I was reading this great book, and then I got in touch with the authors. They somehow said yes to come and I've heard about people like you. I've heard about people with you, uh, like you. I've heard about people like you who like send fan mail and that. Yeah, and I said, do you want to come on the podcast? And I don't know how. Must be my charm and charisma, 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 charisma. My charm and charisma that got them to say yes, and here they are. So, Carl, Ben, come on in, sit down, lads. Ben, Carl, welcome to Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast. Well, te- technically, it's Four Marketers Walk Into a Podcast. Talk about today, false advertising. <laughs> How are you doing? Very well, thanks. How are you guys? Yeah, doing really, really good. Dead excited to hear you talk about... A lot of people are talking about, here's how you get more traffic to your website, here's why you should use Facebook and YouTube, and all of these different ways of bringing people in, content marketing, all that stuff, bringing them to our websites. But actually, you guys take care of something else, don't you? Do. We take care of um, turning those visitors into happy, delighted customers, which is what the the website is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Because it's not easy to forget that when we're having a new website design, if you're not in the direct response world, it's easy to forget that it's not just there to have a lovely picture of you on. Obviously, we do want to get those conversions. And obviously, a lot of us are very focused on that. So let's say somebody comes along and engages your services as consultants who specialize in this conversion stuff. When you get to someone's website, as soon as you hear somebody, maybe before you get on a strategy call with them or something like that, what's the first thing you go and look at? First thing we do when um, we're contacted by someone who's interested in growing the business is we don't look at we don't look at the website yet. Um, we ask them what the purpose of the website is, um, what its primary goal is, what their business ambitions are, what their strategy is, and what the hope the website will help them to achieve over the next five to ten years. Because that's the website needs to pay off the businesses plans for the future and the business's goals and it needs to be accountable according to the business's KPIs. So most people, they do, they, they rush straight to a website and start making suggestions of how it can be improved. But ultimately, if, if you really want to 
do a great job at improving the website for a client, you need to understand their, their business goals and their strategy. And that's where we always start. And it's, you know, it's it's not often where people want to start. They want to push into the testing side of things. But I tell you what, for me as a business owner, as a person who has a product and has a website, there's nothing worse than when you meet somebody and they say, oh, I've got a little bit of feedback about your website. And they tell you like 42 different reasons that they think it's shit. And then you go, but you don't know at which point in the marketing funnel that person's visiting the page you saw. So are the, is, is the lead already warm? Are they already pre-educated? If they're cold, will I be taken to a different webpage that, they, that you haven't already already seen. So getting the understanding of where the heck people are on that journey before they get there is, is critical. Otherwise, you're going to appeal to them in, in a totally the wrong way, aren't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and there are loads of red herrings with most websites. You know, you have e-commerce websites where it might just be a handful of the products bringing most of the sales, but people optimize all product pages. It might be that, as you say, it's a lead generation website and that the real page that you want to be working on is the step between someone becoming a a kind of first touch lead and then a paid customer. But most businesses, you can't just glance at the website and guess how the economics of the business works. Yeah, we've, got exactly. a, we've, we've got a great real life example of this, actually, in that um, we want, uh, we had this page years, years and years ago, um, with, uh, which was for renting travel phones to Japanese travelers. Yes. And we would show the page to people and say, how would you improve this page? What could you do? And they'd look at it and they'd like reword the headline about renting to Japanese travelers. And they'd say, oh, maybe you should mention travel first. And, and you know, everyone could make all these great ideas about how to improve it. The, the one thing we'd not tell them is that we'd just discovered that the page was ranking number one in Yahoo, which at the time was uh, years ago, which was uh, the top search engine in Japan. It was ranking number one for the word phrase mobile phone. And so basically, we, we just discovered we had this ridiculously high value ranking. Mm. And, and so tweaking the, the slight wording of that page was nonsense because the page was absolutely not what it should have been. And that's one thing that we find a lot of companies do is they start off with, by ignoring the visitor and who's arriving at the page. And like you mentioned, all the, the, the psychographics and the mindset of where they are when they arrive. It's very easy just to think, well, how would I improve this page based on an imaginary generic visitor rather than actually understanding the real visitors and what they're looking for? Hmm. I mean, just to clarify, this isn't about, okay, well, we're going to change the color of that button and then we might get an extra 0.001% boost, is it? I mean, people might be, you know, not exactly skeptical, but they might be wondering, well, what's actually possible when it comes to maximizing conversion? So just to put this out there, and this is your chance to brag for a minute, like you've been getting some outstanding results for a really long time now. Can you talk about what people, you know, why is this so important? People might think, well, I'm not going to do all this work and testing and trial and effort in order to get a 2% boost in my conversions, which even that would be worthwhile. But let's talk about what's really possible here. Uh, yeah, like, like, like you say, our, our clients and results page has got all the videos of clients talking about how we've more than doubled their sales. Mm. But I think, I think the, it's easier to think of it from a customer's point of view. When you're browsing the internet, do you ever go on a website where you don't understand what the thing's selling or <laughs> you're frustrated with the usability or you, or, you, or you aren't persuaded by what they're selling? And the answer is like almost all the time, almost mm -hmm. all websites when you're a visitor I've got all these problems. The problem is once it's your own business, you get this kind of curse of knowledge and you can't imagine why more people aren't signing up. But, but you just have to imagine yourself, you know, for the rest of your life when you're the customer. And, and, and 
and, and so much of what we do is kind of understanding the customer and delivering a whole, well, at the very least, a website that is exactly what they wanted it to be and what they were hoping for. And uh, and then the knock-on effect is it often involves actually changing the product. And it, so, so often conversion rate optimization is because it's at the interface between the customer or the visitor and the company, hmm. it often becomes the real core of marketing and we end up redesigning the the client's product or the direction that the client's business goes in. Right. Okay. So it's about really looking at the offer as much as everything else. Which comes into play if you've got a crap offer that nobody wants. The best sales process in the world isn't going to sell it. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So I know you've got a process. I'm a big, big fan of your book. We'll talk about the book a little bit later on. But you've got a nine-step process that you kind of go through. You take people through or you help people take themselves through. And I thought it might be quite nice to to grill you for that. So is that understanding of the objective of the first step of that process? It really is, yeah. We call it the, the, the rules of the game and how you're going to win it. And um, okay. it really is about strategy, defining long-term goals, and deciding how to measure success, because ultimately that's what you're going to be testing against. So you need to find out and not guess which parts of your business are underperforming and why. And you know, typically we do work on websites, but sometimes it might be... Um, a quick example, a client of ours, one part of their funnel is actually to mail um, a prepaid debit card to the customers, which they then need to activate online in order to use. Mm-hmm. covered an opportunity in the actual physical letter that came with the card that they mailed, and we managed to improve the sales 11% just by rewriting the letter. So it's not always, we say which parts of your business, because it's not always the website. And, and often, you, a, a bit of the offline business that's underperforming can be revolutionized if you turn it into an online process as well. Mm. Uh, we, we look at the whole business, not, mm. not just the website. Right. Also, say, a good strategy makes everything else easy. I'd say in lots of businesses, everyone's struggling to improve things and working really hard to make incremental improvements. A good strategy means that every day you wake up and the nature of your strategy has made things uh, as it's kind of you're swimming with the tide you're getting like uh multipliers that that mean that every time you add a new customer for example uh you know the benefit to other customers increases it's a little bit like that charlie munger phrase where is it warren buffett charlie munger says that they always want to invest in companies that have such fantastic strategy and economies of scale and things that you could put an inept nephew in charge and it would still thrive. That's the drive. That's just such a lovely idea for any business owner is to have a business that's, that runs like that because it's much nicer to, to be running a business that could be run by an inept nephew. <laughs> so, so when we're looking at our business then uh, you know what what do we look at in order to work out what's underperforming where how do we find that weak link yeah it's um there are a couple of different steps and we've touched upon the first one which is just understanding and tuning your existing traffic sources because it's all about sending the right prospects to the right pages with the right message at the right time and often there are opportunities to just send the traffic to a better landing page or to make sure that the ad and the landing page have the same kind of offer or, or um, I guess, whatever the ad's doing to persuade, the landing page needs to pay off. So understanding and tuning your existing traffic sources is, is often a quick win. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's, it's really useful to understand the entire conversion funnel, starting with the initial ad impression where someone first encounters your business and finishing with a thank you page and beyond 
And there's often loads of opportunity in optimizing the post-sale events, things like referral programs, upselling, email marketing. So we, we'll sketch out an entire conversion funnel, map out every action that the prospect has to take to become a customer, and then look at um, what we call blocked arteries of missing links. And a blocked artery, just like an artery in your body, is the highway that carries large volumes of blood. An artery in the business is a high-volume pathway that leads to sales. So we look at where, where those arteries are blocked. And, um, and once you've identified those blocked arteries, um, you've kind of got an idea of which parts of your funnel are underperforming. Uh, missing links are slightly different in that they're parts of the conversion funnel that haven't been created yet. A few examples might be turning a one-step sale into a multi-step sale, adding the well-placed refer a friend program, adding an email autoresponder sequence, post-sale offers, creating a customer community, rolling out you know, particular effective campaigns into other media or other channels. So that's really what gives us the idea of where we should be focusing our attention. And then once we've kind of got that area of focus, we, we temporarily just neglect everything else and avoid distraction. Mm-hmm. Very much zoom into that one area to understand why the visitors in, don't convert and, and to understand the customers that do convert. So this is really about, and this is great because this allows us to now zoom out from just saying, oh, well, if I change the background of my website from green to blue, then it might get me a little bump in conversions and actually saying, okay, great. Let's look at where the, where the potential weak links are from, from start to finish on that entire sort of customer journey from first finding you to eventually hopefully becoming, you know, a repeat customer or a higher value client. So that's step number one is to decide what success would look like. What do we do for step number two? Actually, that, 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 that second bit, the kind of engineering of the, Traffic in in the same way that that, that so yeah, step two is the is the traffic engineering you might call it. It's working mm-hmm. out what the uh, treating it like a, a a plumber would treat a pro, you know it's a process. So mm-hmm. uh, my background was in process engineering, and by looking at the whole website flows like flows of water and treating every page like a like a kind of a plumber would in, in re-diverting all these flows is, this, is, is, is really important. Uh, then step three is understanding the visitors, particularly the non-converting ones. Mm. Uh, obviously, if you want more customers, then you need to understand those people who currently aren't converting who you'd like to. And so to understand what their visitor types are, what their intentions are. Sometimes it's like, you know, you need to break it down, you know. Okay, Carl. So let's say we've got a whole bunch of visitors coming along. The majority of people who visit our website are not converting. They're just coming along, thinking it's lovely and leaving. How do we even begin to do that unless we were obviously psychic or something like that? Like, what what are you guys doing in order to get that understanding? Right. There's a whole load of techniques. We use is it 27 different types of technique. Wow. And, uh, and we, we have a research department that do all this. The great thing is that if you're starting out, you can do lots of these things yourself. You can, um, you can, uh, you know, the very, the one that everyone seems to know is web analytics. So you can see at least which pages are getting visitors and what they searched for. Mm-hmm. Typically for conversion, web analytics tells you what areas to look in but not much more. And you can easily get lost in a kind of a rat's nest of complexity. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, I'd say using form analytics software can be great for your forms to, to see what, which one, which levels people are dropping out at. Uh, live chat can be great and actually engaging with the visitors 
as if they were real people because they are real people. And uh, rather than just looking at them as numbers, to have the conversations with them and find out what, why they came, to find out if they're a new visitor or a repeat visitor, find out where they came from, find out, you know, did, did, were they looking for your company in particular or just a generic keyword? Uh, what, you know, what are their intentions? What are their objections? Where are they at? And to understand the whole kind of thinking as if, as if you yourself were the customer. You know what it's like when you go shopping. You have a little mental shopping list of all the different things that you want, all the, th- all the concerns you have, all the preconceived beliefs about what buying this type of service is. Mm-hmm. Um, we use survey tools allowed. So, uh, sometimes we send surveys to existing customers. The great thing about existing customers is that they are definitely qualified. They're definitely the type of people who will buy your product. And they've gone through the whole process and they know where they nearly didn't convert. So they can tell you where the, the black spots are, the points at which, you know, if, if this were an obstacle course, they can tell you the obstacle at which they nearly didn't get past. And the great thing about that is once you, you know, once you know that you can go back to that obstacle and you'll probably find that there are loads of other people standing behind that obstacle who didn't quite make it. That's um, really interesting. Exit survey tools are great because so people don't know why they didn't convert until they're at the point of not converting. Not so if you ask someone on the way in, why didn't you convert? You're not going to get much. If you ask them on the way out, you, you'll, you'll get much, um, better responses often impassioned ones yeah that's interesting so based on all this feedback you are obviously constantly collecting from lots of different websites what can you think off the top of your head of a a reason that that comes back time and time again you think do you know what it is this is a real pattern are there any sort of real common threads across multiple niches multiple markets multiple verticals that you're seeing this is a real reason that people are telling us that they're not converting. What, what, what's popping up a lot? Yeah. Um, do you want to rattle through them, Ben? Yeah. yeah. They, they really are. <laughs> oh, you let Ben talk. That'd be good. I'm joking. I, know, I, thought, I thought I'd let him have a go. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, visitors can't understand the, the, what the web pages are saying is a really common one as far as yeah. usability goes and comprehension of what someone's trying to sell. Mm. That's that's a massive one. And time and time again, when we look at these exit surveys or we do user tests, people will say, I just don't get it. So, so yeah, it's really, really common. Um, as far as the functionality of the website goes, usability is a big one as well. Uh, uh, do people know what they need to click on next? Is the navigation easy to use? Is the page kind of doing all the things that, that as a user, navigating it, would would expect um a big one is just does the website give people what they want does it satisfy your visitors needs and if it doesn't then are there other things that you can do in terms of new products or in terms of even recommending other people's products that you can do to satisfy more visitors needs and is better as part of that to do with answering some of their questions that they have absolutely you need to you need to understand as carl mentioned what the the prospect's mental shopping list ridiculously well. Mm. Um, so it might be that you do meet their needs, but your website isn't communicating it or it isn't, it isn't addressing that objection. It might be that you genuinely don't meet their needs. A bit like at the start of the call, we talked about the Japanese rental page where most of the people coming to the site were looking for a mobile phone. So the obvious answer there is to have almost like an, uh, an introduction saying, are you looking for a domestic mobile phone or an international mobile phone. 
and then sending the visitors to whatever to whatever products actually yeah. satisfies their intention. Yeah. And you don't have to have that product to satisfy the visitor intention. You can you can you can be an affiliate, or you can white label a product, or you can have an email list that talks about you know how to buy that kind of product. But you can still add value to the customer's journey, mm-hmm. even if you ultimately don't offer that product. And it's it's a great way of improving the. I guess your lifetime customer value and uh, effectiveness of the advertising that you're doing as well. Yeah, for sure. And it also also determines the direction that your company moves in because you you have the decision then of whether do I just want to give up on these visitors, in which case I probably can't afford them and someone else will outrank me for this term, or do I want to satisfy these requirements? And it's not actually a choice of the owner. It's more a choice of the economics of of uh of attention mm. another quick three that are really common are mm. is your website trustworthy um is the, is the company credible or is the product credible that's a big one um is the risk is the risk involved is it perceived as a risky purchase or a risky you know is do they perceive it as being either risky in terms of time or risky in terms of money and um and does it appeal to both early stage and late stage buyers? You, you guys touched on this at the start of the call, but sometimes you're talking to a hot lead who's ready to sign up. Sometimes you're talking to someone that's just researching. Mm. So does your website cater for both of those? Mm-hmm. Those tend to be, I mean, there are lots more. <laughs> but You know what, Joey, the, the, in this list that we've given, we've actually, we're six, we're six away from covering all of the top reasons that, that like statistically, mm-hmm. From of that, we might as well do the whole. If we do the remaining six, then we've done actually all of the ones. Sounds great. That that, that cover most businesses. I, like, I think what was really interesting is you talked about not people not knowing what to do and where to click and stuff. And I mean, a great bit of software that we use for that internally is Hotjar. It's just great for looking at how people are moving around a website. And we found tons of times people are clicking on stuff that's not a link. You're looking at them going, "That's not a link." Yeah. And you're thinking they're stupid. No, it turns out it's us. <laughs> mm. Which is always the case with usability, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. The, 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 the six remaining ones are um, managing complexity. Quite a lot of businesses, and, and it's it's either one of those things that you that, that it's either, this either is your business or it's not. Is they they reach a point where the visitors can't see the wood for the trees because mm-hmm. the website has become like lost in its own complexity, mm-hmm. and and it gets to the point where the business is unable to update its own site because the whole information architecture has become mind-blowing and mess begets mess. Mm. Um, winning websites, uh, all, you know, the, the best ones um, have got like a niche so that they aren't, that sailing past the competition is easy because they, they have got themselves a good positioning that's, that's in their favor. Um, sometimes their problem is that visitors arrive, use the website and never come back. And so being able to capture the you know the attention and and the repeat attention of the visitors is the big opportunity uh sometimes it's some products just are you know the, the biggest objection is people say oh i'm just researching at the moment i'll come back some other time and mm-hmm. so sometimes getting prompt action is the big you know big problem in, in things like life insurance for example most people buying life insurance they could buy it this week. They could buy it next month or next year. It's not like an urgent thing. Mm. So finding ways to do that can make a difference. And uh, the other ones are sometimes the sometimes the company is almost like 
maybe a reseller of a larger company company's business mm-hmm. or or basically sometimes you'll find that the parts that are in your control are fine but the key problems in the conversion funnel are outside of your control maybe it's because you work for uh, i don't know a company where you're in charge of the marketing but all of the issues are with the actual <laughs> software app and you're not allowed to make any changes to it or yeah. maybe you're a reseller of a uh, of a broadband company and it's some huge uh, business and you're not allowed to make any changes to what you're reselling right. and so there are lots of things you can do with that and then and then the final one is one that people seem to forget surprisingly often is lifetime customer value yeah. is that sometimes the massive opportunity is in turning it from like a one purchase in a while to being able to make people buy more and more often and 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 to keep going for longer that's really interesting. Okay, thanks. That's a, that's a hell of a list. I'm, I know that might. It was. Yeah, it's. It seemed a shame to stop without reading out because I thought some of the some of the listeners will be in that last six, and it would be a shame not to. I love that. It's so cool. Mention them. So, so what's next in our in our nine step process? Yeah. So we've yeah we've discussed. Let's do a quick status check. What have we covered so far? Um, the rules of the game, the KPIs, and the strategy of the business. Yeah. Step one, um, yeah, step two, understanding your visitors, mm-hmm. traffic. Um, step three is understanding the, the non-converting yeah. visitors and understanding the objections. Mm. And, um, and I guess to summarize that really quickly, almost all of the non-converting visitors come under three like sections. The first one is um, you haven't, you, they've, they've got like the wrong intent or you can't satisfy the visual intent. The other one is they've identified, they've got a user experience problem. And the other one is they're just not persuaded. So almost all of your websites, non-converting visitors fit into one of those three. Right. Um, next step, step four, is what we, what we call advanced market intelligence. And that's no business exists in a vacuum. So we, we, we and we recommend our clients to really study the marketplace and to look at your competitors, any expert commentators, and to understand what your customers are saying on social media or review sites, and to get a feel for what your positioning should be in the marketplace. And it's really interesting. One thing that we that we do when we survey users is we say, well, what are the alternatives that you're seeking? What will you do if you don't buy product X? Um, what led you to need this product? Mm-hmm. Really common that who, who you think your competitors are are just like a subset of your competitors, but when you look at when you look at it from the visitor's perspective, say for example you sell garden sheds, mm. you might say, well, one of my competitors is being Q, one of them's another DIY store, one of them's you know Argos, one of them's an online retailer. Um, but the one thing that people forget is that the most likely thing is someone just won't bother to get a shed, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just never get around to it, <laughs> or. Or they'll buy. So the competition is laziness rather than. Uh, or, or, or they'll, yeah, or they'll. Um, priorities. Garage, or they'll, yeah, they'll buy a kind of different type of solution, or they'll. So it's kind of zooming out again and looking at what other things the visitors are considering. I like that. I suppose if you look at, you know, airlines might consider themselves to be in competition with other airlines, but actually they're in competition with trains. ferries and trains. And Absolutely. You mm. like to go on a run, on a yes. walk. Yes. And and uh, yeah, sometimes it's good to see your biggest competitor as just someone sitting on a sofa doing nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, there's a, there's a massive opportunity to get people to if if you're in the holiday 
business, in the travel business, the biggest opportunity you've got is people who just, if you, if you do international holidays, is the people who just do a normal sort of caravan holiday in the lakes or just, you know, nearby who just drive. That's your biggest opportunity, probably. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, so, sometimes it's not necessarily about converting the converted. It's about mm. converting those that haven't kind of even considered you. Mm. So, yeah, that's more top of the funnel stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Really is, yeah, and it helps a load with your positioning because once you understand what your your prospects' other options are, it kind of opens up new objections that you've not considered, mm. and it opens up ways of you creating either content or products mm. that appeal to people at an earlier stage. Mm. And that's one thing that the internet's done very well in lowering transaction costs of doing business. So many web businesses are actually addressing markets of people who would never have normally bought this type of service because it was too expensive because the kind of transaction costs were too high. So so that's one thing to to always bear in mind is that the internet makes it possible for you know for people to have services that were previously only available to big companies or to to the rich. Very cool. Okay. Uh, let's do one more and then we're going to take a little break in proceedings. What's the next one in the uh-huh. process? Step five is, um, we call it spotting the hidden wealth in your business. So um, whenever we work on a client project, all of our clients have elements within their businesses that are highly persuasive to prospects, but the prospects never see. Um, and, and all businesses have things that they really take for granted because they kind of, they live in that company day in, day out. And mm-hmm. those facts are just things that they know about the company. But to an outsider, it would be really impressive. So the key here is to identify all of what we call the persuasion assets in your business mm. and then to present them to the prospect at the right time in the buying process. <laughs> and um, and it, it, it's almost about doing an audit of a business to see what expert reviews they've got, what media mentions they've got, what company achievements they have, what customer testimonials they have, and to pull all of that together. Because quite often it's all kind of dispersed around different places on the website, if at all, or even on external websites. And to pull all that together, to, to create what we would call a proof magnet. <laughs> um, and, and sometimes the challenge is just pulling all of the content that already exists into one central place. Sometimes, maybe for a new business or, or someone that's kind of moving into a new market, they might not yet have these persuasive assets. So the challenge there lies in creating the list of what you would like to create and the things that you need. Like envisioning what your business will have when it's successful and then having a strategy to get them so if, if for example you've you're about to launch a new product but you've got no customer testimonials but you know that's an important persuasion asset can you do some kind of pre-launch to a certain segment mm-hmm. so you can get testimonials from the, the beta users for example mm-hmm. or you know is there any pr that you can do before a launch so even though the product itself's not got the media mentions the company has mm-hmm. so yeah, that, that, that's an important step. And uh, and again, a lot a lot of companies they either take this stuff for granted, or they've not thought about kind of organising their, their their persuasive assets in a way that's easily communicated to a prospect. And sometimes and sometimes they just say, "Oh, well, we've already said that. Look, it's over here on this page that no one's ever visited." Yes, that's the thing. And I think we live in a world right now where. As the internet continues to grow, our skepticism about things on the internet continues to grow as we all hear more scams that people have fallen victim to. 
So I think proof and, cre- and credibility is probably getting more and more important than it ever has, especially from third parties, rather than just, ooh, internally we did this really nice thing. Hmm. Really cool. Now, we're going to interrupt proceedings for a second, gents. We're going to play our favorite little game here. So here's how it works. My colleague Kennedy here. Hello. That's him. He's going to sing a song for you now, chaps. Now, the song that he sings is going to be in the style of a traditional British pub or club singer, which means that some of the words may be somewhat confused or disguised. And your job, both of you as a team, and of course, dear listener at home, is simply to guess what song Kennedy sings. In this pixie, with a pee, a pee, and pee, with a scene, sip the pain, in the scene, you pee, in the pee day, in this pee day, in the scene, pee, in the scene, but then you be. Initially, it sounded like some old sea shanty. I know it. It's a. Uh... What a feeling. It oh, is. my. What? what? Amazing. I can't Amazing. believe you got it. You started, with the, you started with the verse as well, that lovely build-up, didn't you? What's the song? Look at that. Yeah, yeah. Irene Cara, Flash Dance. Irene Cara, Flash Dance. What a, what a song. <laughs> I don't know what I've done in my show. That really hurts. That's a feeling. It is a feeling. What a feeling. Right. I'm going to around the office and try, and try and work my shoulder out. Tell us number six. That's what Irene was referring to in the song, I imagine. When you sing, when you sing this on karaoke, you're going to have a hell of a feeling. Right, excellent. So what's number six in this process? Number six, I should pass over to back to Carl, the company rocket scientist, because it's of about course. experiments. It's experiment. It's my my yeah. thing, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, you mentioned before that like in changing button colours is what people seem to think A/B testing is. When mm. A/B testing is testing two different things. If you want those two things to be stupidly trivial then fine but that's not ab testing's fault and people often say oh but ab testing's not suitable for testing big things and local maxima and stuff and you think well ab testing is you know you pick a and you pick b and it can be whatever you want and what we find is that you know having the right process and the right prioritization for deciding what you're going to measure and just, I'll just mention, just in case anyone doesn't know what A-B testing is, it's basically half of your visitors get to see the old version, half of them get to see your new B version, and uh, and you just measure with the software which version's bringing in the most conversions. Just which before might you get into this, actually, can you just recommend a piece of software that's good for doing that these days? Google's own uh, Google Optimize software oh, really? is a great way to start. It's... Um, it's free, which is a, a great, uh, great price, and uh, and it allows you to play around and find out whether it's doing everything that you want or whether you need to you use your ideas more complex. But it's often, but for many businesses, it's it's a great place to start. And maybe, Sorry, yeah. So back back on track. Yeah, I just want yeah. to like dive into that bit of yeah. So there we are. They um, and so what the software does is it tells you statistically when you have significantly enough. Uh, information, you know, it, uh, when enough orders have been placed so that you can confidently say, right, this page is better than, you know, better than what's called the control, which is your existing version. And, uh, and what we find is that some tests take far too long. Some tests, you know, if you're looking to detect a 1% improvement, then that will take forever. And unless you're a company with millions of visitors, then it'll probably never reach significance. Um, and so there's a real benefit to making what like bold targeted changes rather than what we call meek tweaks. Okay. 
because detecting a 50% improvement in conversion rate is much, much quicker and much more profitable and, and actually much more enjoyable than testing trivial differences that, you know, that make no difference whatsoever to a, to a visitor. Sticking a word in italics or changing the color of a button really, you know, visitors, that's not what's stopping them. And so, and so what we do is we rank the ideas in terms of how likely is it to double the conversion rate? How easy is it to implement the test? And has this idea worked before? Is this the kind of thing that really, you know, really does work? And has it been generated from, has it come from the right place? Has it come from the, you know, from the mouths of visitors and their objections? And, and so by doing that, then it becomes idea generation. And, you know, in our case, we, we all brainstorm and come up with just loads of different uh, uh, possibilities for growing the business. And then we rank them according to those things. So by the time we're actually running tests, it's things that, we are, we, you know, that we've got good reason to believe will win and are sensibly easy to implement. That's really, really cool. All right. So tests, that's that number six. What's yes. number seven? Number seven is actually once it's all done to, to actually design the experimental web pages to design the pages. There's a whole load of skill in terms of. Then it comes down to uh, you know designing designing layouts that work, the uh, appearance that works, and most importantly, the actual wording that works. Being able to write the copy, uh, being able to make everything usable, being able to to communicate everything you put together in all the previous stages into a page that's likely to thrash the control. Wow. And where do you, I mean, do you, are you mainly relying on your previous experience for coming up with ideas for what should be in those things? Or is there another way of looking at these things? Um, there's a couple. Both. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of things that we do when it comes to ideas. The first one is we, um, for every experiment that wins, we keep a record of the before, the after, the mm. research and obviously the results. Mm. So over the years, we've built up a huge database. We call it the CRE wins database mm. of all the winning experiments. <laughs> and we've organized the database so that it be, can be segmented by type of website. So is it, a, is it a B2B lead gen website or an e-commerce website? You can split the data by um, goal. So is it leads? Is it sales? Is it downloads? Is it, you know, invite your friends or whatever? Uh -huh. So we we have this huge library of knowledge uh -huh. of what's worked in the past, which is based on an objection that we've got in the research. So it's not best practice in terms of everyone should just right pick this headline on their page. It's if the visitor has this objection, here are the things that win. So we've got this huge database that we can use. But also we um, and one thing with the database, we, we, we when we started because we obviously our job is to win A B tests, so we're like sponges reading marketing books and articles about what people say works. One thing that really surprised us was how much of the conventional knowledge didn't work and didn't win. <gasps> By far the richest source was the world of direct response marketing. Maybe unsurprisingly, because those guys have been. To carrying out experiments for uh, over a hundred years, um, but even even in the world of direct response, we were surprised at how many things were uh, were almost like urban myth. And the, oh. the further down you get into actually discovering, you know, why people are 
yeah, the, the, the more you realise that people are doing things because other people have done things. That, and if I, let me put you on the spot right now, lads. Could you share with us an urban myth, something you thought, that's, def- that's, that's work for everybody. Everyone knows if you change that and that, that's going to convert more. And it just, you haven't made it work for you. Because we've had similar things happen for us, like definitely, where, where this way is definitely going to work. We test it against something else and it just absolutely hasn't worked. So, I think I think one of them in from the direct response world is there's this idea that the the kind of excitable copy that is effectively the uh, you know the the online equivalent of a tabloid newspaper mm. is what wins. And I would say uh, in, in, there's an element of that, I suppose, in the fact that tabloid newspapers, you know, you know lots of newspapers. In the US, it would be like the National Enquirer, I guess. Mm. You know, those things do have high readerships, but not everyone wants to read those, like that kind of hyperbole type. And and especially in some industries, Mm. people really don't want to be buying, you know, especially things which are high risk. And people, people, for example, don't want to sign up to a bank that uses that kind of language. So I was going to say, it comes back to that trust thing we talked about earlier, isn't it? About that uh, credibility and trust thing, isn't it? Yes, ab- absolutely. And it's, a, and it's just not one size fits all. There are times when those things work, but, but there are lots of times when those things don't. Mm. Very cool. What's number eight? So yeah, once you've created your content and you've got a page that's um, ready to test, the next step is actually carrying out the experiment on the website. Okay. Uh, as we quickly touched upon, there are many software platforms for A-B testing. They're all pretty similar. Um, some of them are free, like Google. Some of them are several tens of thousands of pounds. Mm, of course. <laughs> but they, they, they're all, they all do a kind of similar thing. And, and the one thing that's really important is don't get hung up on the actual technology at this stage. And um, the one thing we often say to people is that, you know, the content is the sprinter and the A-B testing tool is just the stopwatch. Hmm. So, so don't get kind of hung up on the technology and um and once yeah obviously once the split testing platform's in place which normally involves just copying and pasting a bit of javascript on a page hmm. um then you would look at which visitors you're running the test on obviously what pages um how you're going to measure success what are the conversion goals and these are things that have already been defined earlier on in the project when we talk about the rules of the game and how to measure success and then um obviously just setting up the experiment and exposing it to visitors. And once the test started, the software takes over and um, all split testing software will automatically calculate when one version of a page has generated significantly more conversions mm. than the others. And at that point, you can end the test and promote the winning version to be your new control. And then come up with a new one. Uh, absolutely. And, and I guess that brings us to step nine, <laughs> which is... Possibly, yeah. Let's um, do it. Because a lot of people will say, right then, what's the next test? And you think, hold your horses, there's another opportunity here. Oh, really? He's transferring your winning campaigns into other media. So one thing that testing does is it shows you what works with your visitors. So if you find a new headline that works brilliantly well, can you test it on AdWords? Can you test it on Facebook? Can you test it in any offline campaigns? If you find a particular um, like offer that works ridiculously well can you test that across other parts of your business with email marketing so the next thing is to really look at how you can implement the insights from your running experiments into other parts of your marketing funnel and this works ridiculously well um we we've worked on several projects where 
a landing page is made of perfect scripts for an infomercial, for example, mm. or a landing page has been transformed into an offline magazine ad that's mm. gone out to, you know, hundreds of thousands of magazine subscribers, or a particular audio that's been created on a website has been kind of the seed of a radio ad. Mm. So that there's and, and, and often the great thing about that is not only are you improving the effectiveness of those advertising channels, but quite often you're opening up advertising channels that were previously too expensive. Offline being a good one, if, if you can't afford offline advertising, um, but then you find content that converts at twice the rate, then all of a sudden you might be able to afford that kind of new channel, which both creates a new stream of customers, but also diversifies your business about uh, around being dependent upon any one or two particular channels. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. Just before we head into the quick fire round, I'm going to ask you a really unfair question, if that's all right. And the unfair question is this. We know that on every business, it's going to be different. It's going to depend on what you're selling, how many visitors you're getting. But in general, as a rule of thumb, how many visitors or how long do you leave a test up before starting to make conclusions because it's very it's starting to jump to conclusions it's very easy to skew a test or any kind of experiment by jumping to conclusions too early what are your sort of rules of thumb of how many people you like to see go through something or how long you like to leave something running what's a bare minimum for you before you actually jump to a conclusion and sort of say that's the definitive answer I mean, I'd recommend for any listeners to, to trust the software to do its job because that's yeah. what it's built for. That's great, yeah. If, if, someone wants, if someone wants to know, well, roughly how long is a test going to take, which, which, which might be the question you're asking, there are calculators. If, if, you, if you search for the different software providers, mm. they often have statistical significance calculators. So you, can, so you can plug in your numbers and then see roughly how long you're going to need to wait to see the kind of improvement that you'd like to detect. So that, that's that's probably from a practical perspective of how long should I run the test for those calculators are probably the quickest way of doing it. So you can just Google that and just input your own numbers mm-hmm. and then you'll get a good feel for how long your test is going to take. There's also a pragmatic trade-off in that everyone would love to be 99.99% sure, but that te- to become that, you would have to run the test forever. Right. Um, on the other hand, you don't want to be making mistakes. And so... And so one thing you often find is that, and, and also real businesses, real successful businesses aren't, or, you know, I mean, the moment, I was going to say they're not, they're not all run at 99% or even 95% accuracy because, because sometimes a, a company has so many opportunities. They just want to, you know, once they know that something's likely to win, they want to just move on to the next test and keep making improvements because the quicker that revenue graph goes up, the quicker tests can run. And of course, the test is only relevant to the traffic you're currently running and the current climate, whether that's economically or whether that's culturally or whether that's politically or whatever. Those things can totally skew something as well, can't they? Yes, and that's the great thing about A-B tests is that is that you're always comparing like with like. You remove all the other variables. Right. And the only thing that you're testing is the, the variation on the page. But things do change and it's always worth looking for other alternatives. Love that. I mean, this is really cool because it's nine super actionable steps that anyone can take to start running through their entire customer journey and working out how do we tweak all of the kind of the quick win bits to get some fast results, but then also over the longer term. This is so cool. So fellas, let's jump over into the quick fire round. Hey, hey, you don't want to miss out on more of these fabulous nuggets, do you? Make sure you subscribe to the Three Marketers podcast now on your podcast player. Question number one, what would be a book apart from your own fabulous book? 
that you would recommend? Uh, Keys to Great Writing by Stephen Wilbers is, uh, I'd imagine, would teach most people more. Uh, it, it transforms your writing and teaches some so many amazing techniques that it's that uh, most people we've recommended it to find it baffling why their English teachers at school didn't teach them that. Ah. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, what's one of your top success habits or something that you do daily, weekly, or regularly? I'd say envisioning, and it's something that we encourage all of our clients to do as well. And it's to um, to, to literally have a graph on the wall of what your target is and what you're trying to, to achieve and look at it every day and whenever you're discussing what you're working on, whenever you're planning your tasks for the day. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to... It's hard to explain how it works so well, but it's it's certainly something that we've we've discovered does. And we've noticed that that it's a real common theme amongst our most successful clients that they have a, a sometimes almost delusional level of um, of envisioning. So they see their business in a way that you know in a in a way that, that how it will look several years in the future, and and. And then the, those things happen and you kind of think, wow, that really, that, that worked. That's amazing. So when you look at other businesses, you look at other business people, marketers, that kind of thing, entrepreneurs, who is it you look up to? I, I'd say as far as traits go, we love measurability and especially in service businesses. But, you know, yeah, I'd say we look to anyone who sticks their neck on the line and measures their work. Um and so, yeah, obviously, engineers and scientists have been doing this for, for years, yeah. forever, because that's how, the, how things happen. And the big revolution of the last hundred years has been in engineering and science and, you know, so many changes. And so, uh, yeah, as far as the, the world of service and, and the kind of softer uh, areas like marketing, then direct response marketers, there are so many there are so many basically direct response marketers have been measuring and optimizing for the last hundred years and there's a lot to learn from people like claude hopkins and and the you know anyone who's been actually measuring marketing very cool um what are your favorite apps that you think are super cool right now well i'd say as far as super cool goes we are we run almost our entire business using Google Apps. And even though Google Apps isn't, everyone's heard of Google Apps, so it's not particularly new or sexy. Mm -hmm. Amazing what you can do with it, especially if you've got a remote organization like ours. Mm -hmm. So we're huge, we, we're huge fans of G Suite. And, and I'd say it, we've almost created like a company operating system using Google Docs, Google Slides, Google Sheets. Yeah. And um, as, yeah, as far as what I'd recommend to someone, I'd highly recommend that. I love it. We, we do the same thing. Actually, we rely pretty much exclusively on, on, the, on the G Suite. It's absolutely amazing. So big important question. Who do you like more, red-haired Rob or platinum-haired Kennedy? We, uh, we ran an A-B test and the results so far are inconclusive, both performing very well. Oh, oh, there you go. That was very, there. very clever. <laughs> Finally, it's not about a bloody rehearsed answer. And <laughs> <laughs> diplomatic as well. Yeah, I know. Wow. On brand, however. I mean, there's two of them, and there's two of us. So let's just. I mean, it. I know exactly which one I'm to that. So, so do I. <laughs> Finally, most importantly, where can folks go to find out more about you guys and what you're up to? Our website is conversionrateexperts.com. Conversion 
hyphenrate-experts.com and um, or look up our book which is making websites win it's available in in all the usual places mm-hmm. and um yeah if, if you want to contact us personally it's uh, ben jessen and carl blanks on, on linkedin cool well Talk guys thank you. you so much for taking time out of your day to come and join us for this this has been so cool thank you so much guys it's been a blast it has Likewise. thank you very cheers, much guys cheers so red buttons green buttons doesn't really matter those no. are little insignificant things yeah 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 you've got to go big picture look at where are things flowing how are things going yeah. you can see just how, like it's a really smart set of processes behind everything that they do there I love it. I think just having like almost like lock different doors, go through this bit, do this bit, do this bit, and then you've nailed absolutely everything. Like no stone unturned kind of thing. Yeah. Because often when you're doing testing and stuff, you feel like, what have I missed out on and where am I? Like, oh, I've tested that, but how? what about if I change that round? Being much more systematic that way. Hydromatic. <laughs> What's the next word? Systematic, hydromatic. Automatic. Automatic, is it? Is it Grease Lightning? It's Grease Lightning. I love it. I love I've it. got skills that I'm multiplying. <laughs> Are they? Anyway, enough of that. Where can we go to find out the, the show notes on this fabulous episode, Rob? Just head over to blog.responsesuite.com forward slash zero six seven. There you go. You've had all the notes, all the links, where to go and find the book, which honestly you should definitely go and get. I absolutely love it. If you haven't already, again, don't forget to just take a few minutes. I'm literally on my knees begging to go and leave us a lovely little review you're and a really problem over on Apple Podcasts or on whatever, wherever it is that you're listening to this. Just share a few words, let people know what your favorite big takeaways and that were. Uh, We'd absolutely love that. We would. Thank you so much. We'll be back next week with a new guest. I can't wait. Don't miss a thing. thing. Check out the show notes at blog.responsesuite.com.